Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. And I am so delighted to be here with some of my real heroes, an amazing team of people from New York City, my hometown. If you can end fur in New York City, you can end it anywhere to sort of twist an old Frank Sinatra line. Uh, Nathan, tell us what happened. You've been doing protests. I mean, for decades there have been protests, but it seems like uh, we've hit the tipping point and fur is really out. What's the very latest? Well, the very latest is these fantastic people who are on the show with you today. And thank you so much for for having us and and bringing attention to this campaign. Um, We had a victory. We had a really big victory. And when I say we, it's everybody here, but it's also so many New York City activists who have been out on the street, can't, you know, helping, protesting, doing demonstrations for, I mean, three and a half years to try to get Paragon Sports, uh, who is a, a sporting good, an iconic sporting goods store, in New York City to stop selling fur. Um, you know, for years they've had the second floor of their store just jam-packed, Canada Goose, you know, you name it, and they had it. And we have done everything that we possibly could uh, from letter writing to emailing to protests to demonstrations to house to, you know, to going to the executive's home protesting there. And finally, uh, several face-to-face meetings over the course of many, many months that finally led to the store deciding that they will no longer sell fur after this winter season. So it's, it's, it's an enormous victory that we, sh- we can all be really, really proud of. And I would say you're all paragons of virtue. So let me ask you, Elizabeth Arjabe, you're one of the Uh, main people. I mean, there's so many people. One of the problems that we had putting together the show is that so many people were involved in it. These are some of the leaders, but really hundreds of people over the years protesting in New York City in the cold. Um, It's a rough, rough thing. You're behind a barricade a lot of times. It's snowing. People are saying nasty things to you, ignoring you. I mean, this is not a walk in the park. It's not a walk in Central Park, Elizabeth Arjabe. No, it's not. What was your emotional reaction when you learned that Paragon had made the decision to, um, I understand they're still going to sell this winter, presumably to clear out their inventory, and then that's it. What was your reaction when you heard that news? Well, ecstatic because... All it means for us here is that it's worth it, putting in the legwork, the sustaining the campaign, and just uh, hanging in there and really hanging tough and making sure that we continue until we get what we wanted. Our demand was to stop selling fur. So we did accomplish that. And although we do have to recognize that it is a business and we have to make uh, some sort of um, amends to just allow them to finish doing what they need to do with their current stock and inventory. We accepted and appreciated that 
you know, they have come to this, to this decision. And of course it came with, as Nathan said, it came with many years of protests on the ground work and we had to amp it up. And by amping it up, it's an example that if you get a team that really wants to see it happen, it'll happen. And you just have to stick with the program, stick with the campaign until you get a resolution. So uh, let me ask uh, Leo, what, what do you think did it? Because we know, for example, for years, uh, I was involved in the anti-fur protests. They would start at Columbus Circle and we would march. We would march to Bergdorf Goodman. We would march all around um, the whole shopping district of Fifth Avenue for years and years and years, because I'm born and raised in New York and I moved uh, to LA, but back and forth. So I've been at those protests and it seemed like the mainstream media didn't cover it. Um, the, the people you know, would give it their all, but, but a lot didn't change. What do you think changed it, uh, Leo? Um, okay. I think definitely to echo a little bit of what has been said. Um, and first off, thank you again very much for having us on here today. Oh my um, God. That we were a group of individuals that came together and were being honest enough with ourselves that despite our best efforts and the efforts of those who are out there in the rain, in the snow, that a change needed to come um, in how we were approaching it and that we were willing to be critical of ourselves and not just say we have the answers or we've been doing this forever and we yelled at a lot of people and it felt great um, that we were willing to really look at our tactics a bit um, and it, I, in my estimation, it was definitely the home demonstrations um, that were able to finally allow for the negotiations to take place. And we're very fortunate because I'm going to blow them up and embarrass them now um, that Nathan was a big part of our team and was an individual uh, very well equipped to step in for those said negotiations. Um, so for somebody as well who's protested against the fur industry for a while, we've had a lot of very powerful, loud demonstrations that I can remember with great fondness that didn't leave us ultimately with a lot more tangible results than a sore throat. Um, and, you know, while that's very empowering potentially for a community and for trying to inspire others to get active as well, uh, we weren't able to get the results. And I think a big thing to take away from this is the importance of developing one's outreach skills and one communicative skills so that if you're able to get that conversation um, on the table, to the table rather, uh, that should be an end goal of the protest. You should have specific goals uh, like that in mind as opposed to we're going to get out there and make a lot of noise, which can get the job done, but it's got to lead to something beyond that. So willing to escalate, to go to home demonstrations. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so let me ask uh, Shy, Shy, um, do you feel the mood changing in New York? I, I grew up in Midtown Manhattan. One of the biggest fur stores was right down the block from where I grew up. Uh, and I, I just would get horrified when I walked by. It was one of those like, uh, you know, selling below what they would call trying to sell a sale, constant sale. We all know those kinds of stores, right? It's always for sale. And it was so frustrating. And even walking by and talking to people going into the store saying, please don't go into the store. Some people would go in the store with their dogs and not make the connection that your dogs are fur-bearing animals. Your dogs are just like the coyotes and the foxes and the minks uh, who are being tortured and killed for this. Um, 
Do you get a sense, Shy, that New York City is changing? Because, you know, they say what happens in L.A. spreads to the rest of the world, and that's true. But, but L.A., because it's warm here, it's going to be in the 80s uh, at least, uh, is, is not as, as much of a ground zero uh, for fur as New York City. I would say New York City for the United States is the ground zero. Do you see the tide turning when it comes to fur, Shy? Um, I have to say I do overall. I mean, ask me again around January or February. My answer may be different by then once it, you know, once it hits the streets. Um, as much as I'd like to think that a big part of it is, you know, people's uh, making the connection with the fact that, you know, what they're wearing is an actual corpse of an animal uh, that in many cases are almost identical to the dog that, you know, you have right next to you as your companion. Um, I think that Canada Goose being the crazy you know, hit, huge hit that it was all over the world and definitely in New York uh, three, four years ago, um, I think it's finally dying down. I think uh, most people who, you know, thought that it was, uh, you know, a hot piece of fashion to own uh, a couple of years ago have either already purchased it or, or have just moved on as, you know, fashionistas sometimes do. I'm just hoping that that, you know, continues to be the trend and that we see less and less of it you know, in the coming years. And if you see me looking down, it's because I'm sharing out this live video. I urge everybody watching, hit the share button, put it on your timeline, put it on your story, including those of you watching. Just keep the audio on zero so that we can get the word out. Donnie Moss, I know that you were, um, you're, you're a dear friend of mine. In fact, when I go to New York, I impose upon you and Jim and stay at your house. Um, but um, you were saying, hey, this is the work of so many other people. You don't even need to interview me. But what, one of the reasons I really want to interview you is that um, you're, you're very involved in um, sort of strategic campaigns. I mean, you did a strategic campaign to get the New York Blood Center um, to take care of chimps uh, that had been abandoned uh, in Liberia, I believe. And it was a strategic campaign that involved tweet storms, that involved a home protest. Do you see that the animal rights movement now is is changing to the point where it's not just marching through the streets, it's a, it's a strategic organized campaign that the corporations involved can't afford or can't ignore? I think that we're learning lessons from each campaign. And I would say lessons that I learned from this campaign and from previous campaigns, are, well, there are two, two lessons I would want to share with uh, grassroots activists, and that is one, the importance of escalation. Uh, we started in, uh, in front of the Paragon store. First, you know, always send a polite letter, then maybe graduate to a petition, and then, you know, then move to in, uh, protests in front of the store. We probably stayed in front of the store for too long before escalating and taking our protests to the front door of one of the executives of the store, because that's where we really saw a major change. Now, while staying in front of the store wasn't a waste of time, we did outreach and education, spoke to people who wear fur. Um, we probably, in order to achieve our objective, which was to get Paragon Sports to stop selling fur, we should have escalated sooner. And so I would encourage activists to, to, to think about that. You know, this, if we do the same thing over and over and it's not working, escalate. And the second uh, lesson or reminder, I would say, on this campaign is that change happens in the discomfort zone. It wasn't until we were uncomfortable, the executive was uncomfortable, his neighbors were uncomfortable, that we really started to see major movement. 
So those were my takeaways here. It's really important when starting a campaign to set aside, uh, to, to decide what are the objectives? How are you going to achieve those objectives? In, in other words, what are your strategies and what are the tactics that you're going to employ in, in support of those strategies? Laying all of that out in advance is really helpful and keeps us uh, focused. Yeah, I guess to use an analogy, um, if we just go and decide to paint the kitchen, but we don't put the tape up and make sure that the paint doesn't drip down onto the floor, it's, it can be very, very well-intentioned, but it can end up being a complete mess. And so strategically, it's important to uh, make sure you've got the right equipment, tape, tape uh, the walls and the cupboards. And so it's, a, it's really a strategic organized effort. And uh, of course, that's not the part that energizes people doing all that detailed planning. What, what energizes people is marching in the streets. But you're saying that really a lot of backstory behind the scene works needs to be done before you take to the streets and continuously um, sort of pivoting, 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 pivoting as the campaign progresses. We've got a caller, another amazing activist from New York City, Adita from New York City. Your question or thought, Adita? Hi, Jane, and hi, uh, all my wonderful activist friends on the phone. My question to all of you is just to get your thoughts on this victory, um, yet another store in New York City that has pledged to go for free. How do you all feel that this positions us in ultimately getting um, the New York City Council to pass a ban on the retail sale of fur. Why don't we start with Nathan and just go around? Well, I think it's a big, you know, it, it's it's a big um, shot in the arm for us. And I think because to, for stores to take it upon themselves and not be forced um, to ban fur makes it a little easier, I think, for the city council to do what the city council needs to do, which is pass the fur ban. But when they see it becoming, you know, less of a, uh, you know, a road to hoe and there's less resistance to it, they, the, you know, the politics comes out of it and it makes it easier for them. So I think the more and more stores that do this, and this is just, you know, this is the importance of activism and, and working together, working with, you know, Night Class, hi Adita, um, working with VFAR. Um, none of us have the sole answer to these, you know, to these, to this equation. But if we all work together hand in hand, the result can be phenomenal. So um, I hope that, that answers the question. Elizabeth? I think a takeaway to bring to the council members is that uh, store owners and companies are ready to have this conversation and make serious decisions about fur. And I think that that will help others rally behind that to see that this is not wasted, that we're not going to continue to get as much pushback as we did. Um, I think that having this victory will lead to others. And once we really uh, shape it, we'll be able to use it faster, as Donnie was saying, like sometimes you learn and you realize that you have to move a little faster and light the fire a little sooner. But I think having a victory demonstrates to others that people are ready and they're ready to take a plunge and make this decision. And we, we now have that behind us. I want to say one thing. Here in LA, there are many anti-fur protests and some very, um, Famous people sometimes hold the banner leading the uh, march through Rodeo Drive. And I've also covered that and uh, watched that for many, many years. 
And what they do, which is interesting, is they give awards to stores on Rodeo Drive and Wilshire Boulevard, that area, the heart of Beverly Hills. Um, they give awards to stores and companies that have stopped selling fur. Now, when they first started giving the awards, it was maybe one award and uh, 40 stores that were being protested. Now, the most recent one, which was not that long ago before COVID, uh, it was mostly awards and only a couple of stores that were still protested. And what really struck me was that the managers of the stores were thrilled to get these plaques. And then they would come out and they would pose with the protesters. And there were all sorts of, of photographs and videos and a big hullabaloo and they're beaming. The actual managers of the stores were thrilled to get those awards and they seemed very, very happy. And so um, to me, that was very indicative of a societal turning point, a societal tipping point where even the people in the stores that run the stores that used to sell for seem super happy that they were no longer doing so and that they could get an award out of it. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that, uh, Leo? As far as giving awards and, you know, championing uh, corporations that are willing to make decisions like this, I think that there's potentially a lot of merit in it. And I think that there is a conversation to be had about corporations and stores trying to be ahead of the curve, so to speak. So we're looking at a societal change, hopefully, to give uh, my four-legged friend in the background here. Um, but um, I was talking about not my dog. Yes. Um, so there's an opportunity to get ahead of the curve. And I think what was so amazing about the narrative that Paragon had put out in their new uh, for free policy is that they are responding to the desires and the needs of their clientele, um, that hopefully this is an indicator of a much larger societal shift. And while we can hope that individual stores um, can become a flagship uh, for compassion, um, it's gotta be, you know, on to the next one. It's got to be the next step and make that a positive trend and have the opportunity to really provide, you know, a store in that conversation, like the narrative that, you know, you're going to be on the right side of history and that it's a prime opportunity more than anything to redefine what fashion is, redefine what compassion is, and redefine what humanity is. Well, guess okay. what? Somebody else is here to say congratulations, guys. And this is my little Rico, my rescue from Puerto Rico through All Sato's Rescue. And I, I do hope that there's a way to really, maybe a whole campaign connecting dogs and fur, because I, I'll never forget the time I was in Central Park and this woman walked by with a dog and she was wearing a fur that was the exact same color of her dog. And her dog had on a fur. And I just, my head exploded. And I said, your dog is wearing a dog. And she just looked at me and she said, oh yes, it's the same color, like it was something to celebrate. And that said to me, wow, the disconnect, the disconnect that they can't appreciate that these, these furs come from sentient beings who are just like their dogs. And anybody who has a dog or a cat knows how emotionally, how emotional, how psychological, how um, sensitive our, our animal companions are. And 
I would think that there could be a way to make that connection in a sophisticated campaign that goes from one store to the entire uh, spectrum, and maybe with celebrities holding their furry dogs. I mean, you don't have a lot of fur. Um, you're a, you've got a buzz cut, but you know some of these dogs have tremendous amounts of fur, and and there could be a way to do a campaign to take this to the next level uh, where. Um, really, um, you know PETA. First of all, PETA, we have to give a shout out to PETA. PETA has always been the leader, the organizational leader behind the anti-fur uh, campaign. Back when they did I'd Rather Go Naked Than Wear Fur, many, many campaigns, um, huge campaigns with huge celebrities. So we always give a shout out to PETA when it comes to these things. But maybe it's time for a new, they already did I'd Rather Be Naked Than Wear Fur, maybe, um, uh, we do something where uh, it's another catchy phrase with a celebrity with their dog saying, I'm not going to wear my best friend or something of that nature. Uh, we've got another caller. We've got Sarah on the line. Sarah, your question or thought? I just wanted to let you guys know that as a person that used to wear fur, I asked for a mink vest that my mom put together for me because she at one time sewed the linings into fur coats for celebrities when we first moved to Atlanta. And I said to my mom one time when someone said something to me about wearing the fur vest, they said, oh, you shouldn't you wear that something about the animals. And I was like, I said something to my mom. And she said, oh, yeah, they're raised for that. So there, yes, is a disconnect. And my question to the panel is, what can we do to make a connection between the fur slippers that everybody wears these fur slippers? the slippers with the real fur on them, how do you connect that to, like, dogs where you can say maybe if somebody has those fur, you can ask them if that's beagle fur or that's golden retriever or husky. And is that a way to make the connection? Because I don't see it happening because I see more and more people wearing fur, unfortunately. Uh, thank you, Sarah. I think uh, that's a very good point. We're going to address that on the other side. Where Where do we go next and other items? Maybe while the giant fur coats, hopefully, God willing, are going out of style, although, you know, if you go to uh, Vail and other places like that, you'll still see people in giant furs. Um, but there's now a whole trinket fur trend. So we're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio. We're going to stay live on Facebook. We'll hit it on the other side. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom 
If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to The Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We are talking to an amazing group of New York City activists who are among the leaders. Again, there are so many people who were involved in this years-long campaign who've achieved an enormous victory, Paragon, which if you grew up in New York City, it's like the store where people go to get coats, et cetera, has agreed to no longer sell fur. They're going to clear out their inventory this week, this winter, and then that's it. Um, this is a huge victory. We're trying to figure out where we go next. So let me, let me get to another big piece of breaking news. These are the headlines, Canada Goose. Moose parkas and other furs now banned at Paragon Sports, but it says that um, uh, Canada Goose is um, claiming that um, they are only going to use reclaimed fur by 2022. Now, that's kind of a, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? Because there's been a huge campaign against Canada Goose. By the way, Canada Goose is invited on anytime. Um, Paragon, I mean, Paragon, well, they've, they've joined, they've joined your guys, but um, uh, Canada Goose is involved, uh, invited on anytime. But what does that, what does that exactly mean? And maybe I'll throw this to Donnie Moss. What does it mean when they say they're only going to, um, they're pledging to use only reclaimed fur by 2022. Well, I, I think, and maybe the other panelists can chime in here because this has been a big source of discussion in New York City in light of the fact that so many of the people who are wearing fur in New York City are wearing Canada Goose. I think what that means is that between now and 2022, they're gonna be stockpiling a lot of coyote canine fur. And then starting in 2022, assuming they're being honest about what they're, they're saying now, they're going to start to manufacture the coats with the trim that they've stockpiled. That could last, for all we know, for several more years. The word reclaim would suggest that they're buying back coats or somehow getting fur trim that's somehow been recycled. I don't know how they would go about doing that. And I don't know if any of the other panelists have any thoughts on that. Yes, weigh in. Who would like to weigh in? Shy? Uh, yeah, I mean, anyone's guess is as good as mine. No one really knows what that means. Uh, all we know is that two things. One is that announcement came out from Canada Goose as part of some sort of sustainability report. So, you know, obviously they're trying to 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 at least look look as if they care towards their customers. 
the other thing that we know is that uh, one of their top executives went on a very pro for website a couple of weeks after and basically calmed all of the trappers um, up in Canada down saying, you know, Canada Goose has your back. We're going to keep supporting you. And basically, you know, don't worry. Um, so I guess time will tell. It's really an odd type of, of, of announcement to come out with. In yeah, it's like, oh, we're going to stop killing, but we're going to stop killing in a couple of years. But meanwhile, we're going to keep killing and stockpiling. I right. mean, Nathan, um, uh, what what is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, look, they're a tough company to trust, right? I mean, how, how do you, they, they, they torture, they, they make their money from torturing animals and, um you know, they've claimed to be a, you know, a quote unquote sustainable brand for years, but they're making this shift for sustainability. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, if you take them at their word, I guess this is a good day for animals because come 2022 and beyond, they won't be killing coyotes anymore and any other animals that get caught up in, in, in their, these awful traps. That's being the optimist. Um, but as Donnie said and others alluded to, you know, it's a long time till 2022. And we don't know what their business plan is. Are they going to stockpile? Are they going to kill every animal in sight, uh, you know, to plan and plan to sell it? We don't really know. And when they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, they shy referred to, it gives us even, you know, more reason for pause. But um, I think we can use the message, though, to our advantage, and I know we did in conversations with Paragon Sports to discuss how, you know, if they feel, if Canada Goose feels like it can still thrive without killing animals in the future, well, so can so can you, and especially, you know, you're you're a smaller store, um, you can do it sooner, and uh, those were conversations that were had and they were beneficial. Well, look. Um I'll go back to a personal experience. There was a woman wearing a giant fur in New York City. And I walked up to her and I said something. I don't know. Uh, shame on you for wearing fur. One of these phrases. And she said, oh, this is, this is faux. Now, A, I couldn't tell whether she was telling the truth or not. But since then, fake furs, faux furs have gotten so sophisticated. It is almost in many cases impossible without doing a test to determine whether it's real fur or fake fur. And to the point where uh, there are reports that uh, in foreign countries, uh, they will kill real animals and call it fake fur. That's how crazy it's gotten because it's easier to kill a real animal than it is to sometimes make a fake fur. Um, where does the fake fur aspect of this entire dilemma, where does that play in? And uh, maybe we can go to um, Leo on that. Um, well, I'm on something that's live right now. So I'm gonna give a shout out to Anna Tagliabu, uh, who is a designer for Peluche uh, that does amazing work in the faux fur industry. Um, again, it's, something that I have mixed emotions about because I cannot shake the feeling that a lot of the faux stuff still in its very existence advertises and advocates for fur that is stolen from animals. I understand that it's a shift in dynamics that, you know, within economics and in fashion, and that's not something I'm going to claim to have expertise on. Um, it has a lot of potential, but I think as far as for something like this, and I want to just, if I may jump back to the Canada Goose statement, 
um, infuriating and trash. I, I can't get over it other than classic humane washing um, in their specific words of that statement. They claim that as long as first they'll quote unquote in their supply chain that it can still be used beyond that point. So to echo what Nathan had said earlier, I very much fear for every coyote and other fur farmed animal um, that's out there right now because I have a feeling that they're gonna be stockpiled. I think that there's a genuine danger of Canada Goose finally recognizing that it's basically known for one item. They have one coat with one look and when they've tried to branch out and sell like garbage $500 raincoats, they've been called out on trying to hawk off $500 raincoats that look like trash bags. Um, uh, sorry, I'm just, you know, I, I very much, it's, it's impossible for me to have much faith in them. As, you know, as a, yeah, as no, a, and, I, and I thank you for the opportunity to share that here. I go on a tangent. Sorry, I don't know if I answered no, your question, I, I but Rage, no, I, I don't trust them. What you're saying is that you know, half measures avail us nothing when it's an animal's life at stake. So, um, look, there have been many designers that were approached very nicely. Um, let's take a look at the Michael Kors case. Approached very nicely, video sent, uh, then it escalated to protests, and then there was the infamous Metropolitan Museum a fiasco when he was at the Metropolitan Museum. It was perhaps the pinnacle of his career being interviewed with a bunch of fashionistas. You know, the Metropolitan Museum is like the pinnacle of society. When you're there, that's it, you've arrived. And so did the activists, they arrived. And I think some of you were there, a giant uh, banner was unfurled that said bleep fur and audio was played of animals being skinned alive, screaming audio, and the activists jumped on stage. It was a hullabaloo that made news, um, not because the media cares about animals, but because it was a ginormous fiasco. People were shocked in the audience, and then um, not so long after, I believe it was Dan Matthews of PETA who came out um, maybe a month or two later and said, you know, guess what? Michael Kors is no longer going to sell fur. Um, is there a lesson in that, Donnie Moss? Um, and again, we applaud Michael Kors for getting there, but look what it took. Yes, I mean, PETA set the stage for that victory because PETA had been working on Michael Kors for a long time. Uh, but this uh, victory demonstrates the power of disruption. I think Michael Kors made the decision, and I can't get into his head, but this is, I would guess that he decided it's, it's worth it to me to not have a disruption like this. You know, not, I, it's fur isn't important enough for me to sustain this kind of disruption, to live in fear that I'm gonna be speaking publicly and activists are gonna jump on stage and point out that I'm cruel and that I'm torturing animals in order to, sell, uh, to profit uh, off, my, um, off my designs. So um, does it always have to be that way? Or can it be something where as the society is shifting away from fur? I mean, um, you know, when my mother was around, there was no animal rights activism, uh, you know, in, in the 50s, let's say, you know, uh, the idea of not wearing a fur coat because it's cruel was sort of like, what? 
Now, you'd have to be living under a rock not to know that fur is a controversial item. And younger people who are the demographic that retailers covet, um, to me, with the exception of the Canada Goose uh, fur trim coat, seem to be rejecting fur. Um, personally, I would say that I always see fur as a contrarian indicator. To me, it says that somebody's socially insecure. It, it says that I don't feel that I'm cool enough, hip enough, rich enough, just being me. I've got to wear this very expensive coat with this dead animal around my neck to show to everybody, look at me. I'm one of those people. I'm one of the people who can afford this coat and that makes me X, Y, Z. So to me, it's a contrarian indicator. When I see people with any kind of fur, I think, uh, socially insecure, low self-esteem. Um, maybe you'd like to weigh in on that, Elizabeth. So I will agree that although some of those people may be insecure, they're still uneducated. So I think it's still the responsibility of an activist or just a person who loves animals and is concerned for their welfare to just speak to that person and just even in passing on the subway through fur season, I have had many confrontations and not many of them have to escalate very high. It's a, just a conversation, just a, hey, did you know? Or here's some information and just put it in your pocket and take a look at it in your private moments. And did you know that you could do this? Did you know that you could donate that? Just pointing out things to try to appeal because unfortunately, a lot of those people have never loved an animal have never had a connection to an animal, are not vegan. So our assumption has to be that this is a clean slate and let's at least give them some information because a lot of those people being young probably haven't done all the research. So they need a little help. And as to the older people wearing it, you know, I, I think that they're just stuck in this decision that they need a little bigger push. So that's, our job to give it to them. <laughs> and let's we do. Talk, yeah, let's talk about the future in the remaining time we have. What's next? Oh, look at that kitty cat, another fur <laughs> furring animal. <laughs> so people who have cats should also be able to relate to this issue. Um, in the time we have left, what's next? I mean, it's a long time between uh, now and 2022. Is there a plan for more Canada Goose campaigns? Uh, uh, Nathan, you want to take that one? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's something that we we are talking about, and we're trying to choose, you know, our next our next target. I mean, we didn't we didn't you know create the wheel with this campaign. You know, we followed those who came before us, and there are things that work, and there are things that don't. And I think we worked together well and followed um, a path that has proven to work, and that's the escalation um, of you know when people feel. Um, potentially embarrassed, um, uncomfortable, then um, they are going to, they're going to want to make it stop. They're going to want it to go away. And that's what we, that's what we did here. And I think, you know, the more companies, the more retailers, designers that hear about the things that activists are doing, we may not have to wait two and three and four years to have successes. So we're trying to pick off these smaller Stores. I mean, Paragon's a, is a is a big store, um, but it's not you know it, it's not a it's not necessarily a Macy's or Bloomingdale's who have also declared they're going for free. 
So I think we should continue to hit these retailers and continue to do that which has worked, you know, previously and proven successful. And I well, think that's what we're going to do. Let's talk about COVID too, because the landscape is changing. The last time I followed um, a fur protest in Beverly Hills, it ended up at Neiman Marcus, which I've always referred to as needless markup. Um, and there were, that was like the most intense because they were not giving up fur. And now, of course, uh, post-COVID or in COVID, we know that that store, among many high-end high retailers, um, is in crisis. I, I, the latest I read is, you know, it could be the, it's the end of the road. So do you feel that with the whole world changing and these... Um, luxury stores that people would go into and, you know, it's an experience. I cut up my uh, Neiman Marcus card, you know, 20 some years ago, wrote a letter, said it was because of the sale of fur. And uh, I was, I got a letter back, very polite, that said, we believe in giving customers their choice, which is the line that they always use. Like, would they, would they, you could always go to a, a ridiculous example to show why that's not uh, really even a logical argument. Um, but um, uh, now those stores that pride themselves on being luxury, right, are, are going under. Uh, so uh, that's another aspect of the equation. Uh, do you think that could accelerate the demise of fur, Donnie Moss? You know, I think what we've seen in New York City uh, since uh, the pandemic emerged is less consumerism. And so if less consumerism translates into uh, fewer luxury items like fur, then, then yeah, perhaps your hypothesis is right. Also, Jane, people aren't going to galas and balls and fancy events where they might normally wear uh, fur-trimmed items, though, of course, Canada Goose is a jacket that people wore outdoors. And, you know, there's a lot of out outerwear that does contain trim. I think, you know, we don't know what the future will, will bring from a retail perspective, but I think what we need to do as activists is continue to educate the public, to lobby in support of legislation to ban the sale of fur, to continue to disrupt and protest and to achieve these, uh, these small victories. And eventually the government will follow. It was the same as same-sex marriage, right? There was a lot of support in society for same-sex marriage before the government stepped in and legalized it. And so one of the things I'd like to see us do is to help erase the distinction between full-length fur coats, which people know is wrong, and fur trim, which apparently people don't realize is a problem. And, and that's our job as activists. So where do you go from here? Uh, Leah? We're, what's the next move? Unmute yourself. Well, um, definitely in agreement of going after these retailers, uh, which Nathan had mentioned. Uh, personally, I want to tear down every fur rack that's at Nordstrom, and they're on the target. They're there. We're looking at you, Nordstrom. We'll see you soon. Um, but, you know, it's wild looking at, you know, what you bring up with um, – COVID and how that's influenced everything. And I'm strongly anti-capitalist, so I'm loving people not buying a damn thing unless they absolutely need it, or most people anyway right now. Um, and I'm hoping that's something that if we're gonna talk about a societal shift, has everybody has every much of an impact potentially as anything else that's been mentioned about accessibility, about availability, about what's 
redefining what's even within your means or a necessity is going to these extravagant balls and necessity. So I'm, I'm a, perhaps not as aligned with everybody here, uh, but I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Um, but as far as uh, the future, I'm going to say there's a big shift uh, towards online sales with a lot of these retailers as well. So I think we need to really reevaluate how we're going to address that aspect of it. When we're looking at a lot of department stores that are going under because you have these internet giants like an Amazon that's swooping in and stealing and stealing customers' clientele for multiple types of things. Like, you know, if you think back to years ago, many specialty stores are going out of business because they cannot compete with these larger internet and a uh, large providers. So and I think there are new providers for the small stores. A lot of them are going online. I mean, you have Shopify and you have big right. And you have these that, you know, uh, one of the interesting things is a little bit off topic, but I was watching a documentary, actually not a documentary, one of the great courses on um, the plague in the 14th century that, by the way, lasted six years and came back with regularity until 1669, the Great Plague of London, uh, which was kind of, it gave me pause. <laughs> um, but they said, you know, it, it really introduced a new, a completely new era that, that Europe was in the feudal, it killed half of Europe. Uh, Europe was in the feudal stage where you were either a noble, a clergy, serf, or a merchant and never the twain shall meet. And after the plague, it was all mixed up. And then the Renaissance came along a couple of centuries later and it was a huge change in the culture. And it introduced a, mo a more modern era. I mean, as we now go into our Zoom world, we're on Zoom right now and Facebook and um, the culture is truly changing. People aren't driving as much. Uh, we have electric cars now skyrocketing, even though we could have had them in 1990. But now we see the real, the age of the electric car coming in. I mean, you know, you see Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey went away way before the pandemic, but it, it, it feels to me like fur is almost medieval. And that culturally, as people become modern, that it, it's just so uh, anachronistic. Uh, maybe I could throw that to Shy. Sure. I mean, one thing I would add is that um, you know, us as vegan activists, a lot of times we, we naturally come to any situation with a kind of a all or nothing approach, right? Because all animals deserve our love and respect and none of them deserve to get hurt. Um, but I do believe as a result of this campaign uh, that fur, uh, because of what we've been talking about, kind of holds a specific place in a lot of people's minds. I have a lot of friends who aren't vegan yet who hate fur. When we launched our, uh, you know, our digital efforts against Paragon Sports, I was I would contact these people and ask them to, you know, share our petition and sign it. Um, and they're not vegan, so I guess one another point of way to take from this campaign is to really open up our minds as vegan activists and kind of try and bring people in who may not necessarily be fully vegan yet, but who understand why fur is so horrible and will definitely, you know, stand behind us and join our campaign. Now, uh, one other thing is just an online digital campaign. Obviously, uh, marching is important. And um, then you have the advent of sophisticated digital campaigns that involve tweet storms, thunderclap, um, all sorts of, of um, uh, ways to, to target um, your issue 
online. Where's the balance there? Is it 50-50? Is it 60-40? Um, Nathan, can you weigh in on that? I mean, I think you throw everything that you can at them. Um, there are people who may not necessarily be comfortable with, you know, with street demos who are fantastic, you know, letter writers or fantastic um, at, at forming petitions or our social media, you know, experts. Um, there's a role in this for every single person who cares about these animals. And um, so I don't think we have to pick and choose or necessarily put a percentage to it. I think we can do it all. Um, there's no reason. There's no reason not to. And I just want to just want to say one thing on the last topic with regard to COVID and you know this pandemic. I think it presents a real opportunity for retail, and it's. I think we should we should be having that discussion. That and this also you know sort of goes to what you mentioned about uh, image and people buying you know spending their last twelve hundred dollars or saving you know three paychecks just to buy a stupid you know, you know, because it's got a stupid label on the, on the, on the sleeve, but you get these retailers to start thinking that you can sell quality, you know, apparel for less expensive and make it, you know, beautiful and people will buy it. You know, there are so many great brands out there and when they see big stores who are selling fur going under, why do you want to follow that? Why do you want to follow that? You, this is the time to be a trendsetter. Do something different. And I think, you know, um, that's an approach that we should take with these retailers. Maybe creating an alternative coat with a cruelty-free collar. I mean, I'm just throwing this idea out there. I'm not involved in your campaign, but, you know, the iconic look of the parka with the collar is meant to look cool. Right. I'm rich. I'm cool. But of course, I don't believe that. But what if there was an alternative product that was created that said, I'm I'm compassionate and cool or some kind of this collar didn't die or something where people started wearing uh, a, a physical item and then building a social media campaign off of it to kind of shame the people who wear these real fur collars. I mean, when, when you think outside the box, look at PETA when they did their, I'd rather be naked than wear fur. I mean, if you're in a business meeting and say, okay, we're gonna fight fur. We're gonna get a whole bunch of celebrities to get naked and say, I'd rather be naked than wear fur. People might think, well, that's a little kooky. It was an incredibly successful campaign. Um, I mean, you had major sports figures and movie stars getting naked to say they'd rather be naked than wear fur. Uh, it's perhaps one of the most iconic uh, social activist campaigns ever. And we so- had, we, had Don, we had Donnie take his clothes off outside of um, Zach Wang's house. Mm-hmm. And the next day, it was the next day that we got the call that, uh, <laughs> that they were stopping fur. So once again, Peter nails it. So they didn't have to look at me again. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised I'm not wearing more clothes than I am right now. Uh, but kudos to those who are courageous enough, including so many PETA employees who have gone naked to, uh, to, um, to be a voice for the animals. Especially in the wintertime. So, yeah. So I think that sometimes humor, too, can have, even though it's a very serious subject and it involves life and death and it's heartbreaking to us, sometimes humor can be a, a fun thing. Maybe I think that the key would be to make the fur collars really uncool. Right. Uh, whether it's a campaign of somebody unzipping it, because I 
I don't know. I don't really, I don't, never bought one of those. So, but I assume that you could unzip it. So you unzip it and you know, PETA did this also. They, they got people to donate their furs and then they would cut them and give them to houseless people on the street so that the uh, people who were truly freezing could stay warm. And it also did not do anything for the image of fur. Um, but but uh, I think this would be a fun thing to consider, maybe a video campaign where you got celebrities to unzip their fur collar and and then said, you know, this was a really bad decision and I'm going to give this to a houseless person who needs it uh, or do a, a, and then put on another kind of collar that is fun. It's a compassion, a collar of compassion, the compassion collar. I'm just riffing here because I find that it's fun to sometimes brainstorm out of the box. You come up with ideas. All right. We're just about out of time. I give everybody literally 15 seconds to just wrap it up. Uh, oh, Nathan. I, okay. Elizabeth. No, Elizabeth, go. Okay. I just wanted to uh, thank you again, Jane, for the opportunity. And this is just a testament to sticking to activism. Activism works. Do not give up. Continue to fight for the animals. All right, Nathan. Yeah, I mean, thank you, Jane. And thank you to, to all the New York City activists who for so long um, hit the streets and trusted us and, you know, felt included in this, I think, and uh, felt supported. And uh, I mean, we're changing the world. We got to keep, keep at it. Leo. <laughs> Arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. Okay, shy. Yeah, well, Leo said, and, uh, you know, on to the next one. All right, Dottie. I would just encourage anybody who cares about an issue, no matter what the issue is, step out of your comfort zone on behalf of those for whom you are fighting. It'll be better for them, and it'll, and it'll enrich your own life. And I will just say, personally, um, you guys are my heroes. What you do is so difficult, and you are relentless. And I know that your next campaign it's going to be extraordinary. Congratulations to all. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.